everybody. It is the Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy. I mean, I I guess this is a sign of, of, of the seasonal change. The city of Burlington took away the sideboards from my outdoor ice rink in the park behind my house today that lasted two days. So happy almost spring, Blake. Does it feel like almost spring? You know what I do now? I open up my, my weather app and I do the two-week forecast and I'm waiting for that day that we had a couple in January where it's like it's like 15 and there's nothing for the next two weeks it's March and and this is what we got it's sunny I guess but it's 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 three degrees it's too early it's like it's March 8th I don't know what you are expecting like one day where it's 10 degrees is that unreasonable it's not unreasonable but weren't like two weeks ago the whole thing was like the temperature was swinging too much and that was the issue that people were having. Mm. You live in Toronto, man. Or I guess you no, live I don't. wherever you live. What but I you live adjacent Burlington. to Toronto. The GTA. This is what it is. Wow. All right. It's my my birthday is May fifth. Um, write that down. But also <laughs> okay. like it has snowed on my birthday before. Like yeah. I, I'm not until in my head, and I know not everyone has a spring birthday to do this, but, like, until my birthday rolls around, um, and I'm not, like, a big birthday person, other than that is when I can expect the weather to be decent. No, you're right. April is, yeah, it's, it's pretty crappy. But, it, yeah, again, what like, about this, about April showers? Yeah. Uh, bringing some Mayflowers. They do be bringing Mayflowers. <laughs> um, and that's what we're headed for, honestly, is, like, we're going to pivot from this kind of extended mild winter probably into an April that's just, like, heavy, heavy, heavy on the precipitation because we got no Ooh. snow all winter. Oh, Okay. All right. Is that that your expert opinion that you're I, I, the analytics, the spreadsheets, you know, the <laughs> okay. heat maps, all that stuff. All right. Um, the Micah Blake McCurdy stuff, but it's weather and you're like you're looking oh. at the map and it's like, oh, there's too many red blotches here yeah, yeah. and not enough blue blotches here. This guy sucks at hockey and also the weather's bad. Yeah. We need some regression back to the mean when it comes to the temperature. Anyways, uh, three weeks from Thursday will be opening day for the Toronto Blue Jays. They played a game against the Twins today that they lost. Today's top story, though, is Alec Manoa is doing his Alec Manoa thing. He looks very Alec Manoa-like, which makes sense because, you know, he's Alec Manoa and stuff. Yeah. Terrible lineup he was against, but that slider was darting all over the place. Um, Obviously, this time of year, you don't really care about the results. You maybe you look at the the box score line of who he's pitching against, but you're looking for approach and you're looking for how the pitches are moving and locating. And yeah, his secondary stuff looked awesome today. So who cares if that team didn't have a single major leaguer in the lineup? Yeah, because uh, he would have struck them out too. Uh, three and a third innings pitch, three hits, one earned run, no walks, four strikeouts, didn't hit anybody, which is you know kind of a bummer. Um, but yeah, okay, so here's what I, I, I want to start the show with. Three weeks, again, from Thursday, the Toronto Blue Jays in St. Louis opening up their season against the Cardinals. It's one of those bummer things where you, like, you get all geeked up for the season and you get that first game and then Friday's an off day, which is kind of a letdown. But, um, Blake, we will have a different opening day starter this year than we had a season ago because I feel pretty confident in saying Jose Barrios is not getting the call again. Despite the fact that we're all, you know, fingers crossed for a bounce back from him. But yeah, that's, you don't reward a guy for a season like that after an opening day start like that, which was a harbinger of things to come for uh, Barrios last season. Blue Jays somehow came back and won that game against the Rangers. We will have a new opening day starter in 2023. And it is pretty clearly one of two guys. 
It's either Alec Manoa or it's Kevin Gossman. Threw it out on, in the form of a Twitter poll on, on Twitter today, and we had about 75% of respondents say Alec Manoa should be the guy. Look back at, at their baseball reference pages, their fan graphs pages a season ago. The r- remarkably similar stat line across the board. Um, and maybe Kevin Gossman was a little bit unlucky to even have the numbers that he ended up with. I ask you today, who's your opening day starter? Mine is Alec Manoa. I think there are, are ways you can make the case for... There are a few ways to to approach this. And one, one of the very first things I look at is, okay, if you open the season on the road, how does your opening day starter affect how your home opener starter lines up? Well, guess what? If the Jays don't use one of the two off days they have on that first road trip to skip a starter, mm-hmm. if we assume they're just going one, two, three, four, five until they have a better reason not to... The opening day starter is also the home opener starter. That's cool. So there's extra emphasis on this now. You also, you can look ahead and and probably by the third week of the season, your rotation's getting jumbled for some reason or another, but that same starter would also line up to start twice at home on that first homestand and get the Yankees on the road at Yankee Stadium the next weekend. So, you know, the way the first couple weeks of the schedule, if we assume good health and things like that, it's a really important spot. A couple ways you can go about it. If you have a definitive, this is your best starter, you go with that. It's nice and simple. The Jays don't have that. No. They have two guys who are 1A and 1B. I think you can almost throw the stats out the window because they're so close. And I know mm-hmm. one guy finished uh, significantly ahead of the other in, in Cy Young Award votes and yada, sure. yada, yada. But, like, they're basically the same guy from a statistical standpoint. From an outcome standpoint, yeah. Very different process and inputs and sure. things like that. Um you know, certainly a different style on the on the mound. No doubt. Um, so once you get past the, okay, you don't have a definitive number one, you could look at things like, um, again, this stuff matters, but over the course of the season, it might come out in the wash. So you could look at things like, you know, is there kind of a, a lifetime achievement award nod for a guy? Like, hey, you've been here a while and you're someone this fan base associates with this franchise. That's not the case in the starting rotation here. Um, you can look at the Brios explanation, which was kind of, uh, well, you just got the big contract. So like you are the guy who this past off season, we put our big vote of confidence in and Gosman was similar, mm-hmm. but Barrios got the nod for that reason where I land on this. Um, and why I land Manoa over Gosman. There are two, two kind of hair splitters at this point when all else is even the first is, and this is a hard thing to grasp, and maybe it tilts the other way sometimes. I don't know. Manoa has the demeanor and carries himself like the type of guy I want in the biggest, most important situations. Would have said that about the postseason as well, and it didn't go necessarily the way he would have liked Okay, it. but that's still how I feel, mm-hmm. and uh, I that's one of them. The other one is, you know, it's kind of the opposite of the lifetime achievement nod, and it's uh, it's why, say, a Marcus Stroman type gets the ball uh, a few years back, and it's who is a more certain piece of this long-term, right? And, and it's not, Kevin Gosman's got the contract, but this is what I think of when, when people ask or, or I hear people debate or whatever about what jersey should I get? It's like, okay, who's going to be here the longest? And Alec Manoa is not even arbitration eligible yet. Yeah, pitchers have attrition rates and stuff like that. But if you're going to 
if you're going to have one guy be kind of the avatar for your rotation this year because of where he fits and how good he is and, and what things look like for the future, I think it's pretty unquestionably Alec Manoa if that's a thing that matters to you. So all else equal, that's where it tilts the Manoa for me. I agree with you, and that's kind of a bummer because I thought we were going to maybe butt heads a little bit on this. Here's the argument I would make for Gossman is I agree with you about the longevity thing and like the guy who is first and foremost. Honestly, when you think about Blue Jays pitchers, it's one guy. Honestly, when you think about the Blue Jays in general, it's Vlad Jr., it's Boba Shett, and it's Alec Manoa. Like, like he's in the triumvirate of, mm-hmm. of, of people. Like, he's the third face on... Uh, who's the fourth face on the Mount Rushmore for the, the 2023 well, Toronto Blue Jays? You don't get a Mount Rushmore for um, going two games into the playoffs, <laughs> and you certainly don't get one in March yeah. ahead of the season. Uh, I think Gosman would probably be the next okay. guy up. George Springer, though, yeah, yeah, uh, would be in the mix there as well. But George Springer can't start opening day. so No, it's true. Uh, the argument I would make for, for Kevin Gosman, and it's not one that I would just totally slough off because, I hey, they give out lifetime achievement awards at the Oscars, which we will also talk uh, to Adnan Verk about a little bit later on after 6 o'clock. Kevin Gosman is 32 years of age. It's unlikely that if he's not getting the opening day start this year, that he's ever going to get an opening day start. And not to say that it's everything, right? You'd way rather win a World Series. But I also wouldn't say it's nothing. Like, like you've, you've talked to enough of these guys to know that it's a huge honor, especially for someone who hasn't done it. Like Roy Halladay, probably by the end of his seventh uh, opening day start for the Blue Jays was like, yeah, great, this is awesome, but like, this is old hat for me. Also, Roy Halladay was only starting all those games because he was so meticulous about his process, and he just worked on his entire 365 days on a five-day pattern, right. yeah. and it just happened to come and up every like, year. He's like, oh, is this the first game? Yeah, is, is this my my start date? It's like, Roy, you haven't started in like four months, and he's like, haven't I? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little different for him. I, I do, I I can appreciate... That one for Gosman. I also think there's, you know, there there's an element with Gosman too, where all the underlying stuff was so strong last year that even when the the ERA wasn't, and he didn't have a bad season by ERA, but you know, he was the uh, the big case of kind of ERA versus FIP or or ERA mm. versus the components that go into it. Um, maybe you put a, a vote of confidence in him that way. The thing that gives me pause with Gosman is. I think he's going to be just fine, big picture, and I think he's going to have another really good year with all these rule changes and tweaks. Dude, that's it. I probably, it's just like narratively, it feels like a, a risk to start. Like it, well, and it feels it, like you could run back the Barrio start. Well, yeah. With, oh no, he had three blocks in the opener <laughs> and issued a walk on a timer. Violation. I think he's going to be fine, but yeah, you don't want to put the spotlight on a guy who's going through changes. Maybe the most significant changes he's ever had to go through. Well, not ever, but like in in recent memory, for a guy that's totally remade himself as a starter in in Major League Baseball. Listen, it's not the spotlight doesn't disappear from you on game two of the regular season, but it's not quite as bright as game one being the opening day starter. The other argument in favor of Alec Manoa, which again, this is not an argument. It's just like bolstering both of our uh, our arguments and and agreeing with each other is that hey, this is a guy who did the Bobuchet thing. He stopped. He didn't take the raises, right? Like mm-hmm. he said, take your twenty thousand and shove it. I uh, didn't quite say it in in those terms, but I'm sure there's an element of understanding that one day when the rubber meets the road, there's going to be 
a price to pay for his services, and rightly so. He's a guy who's in his early 20s and is already a top five finisher in the American League Cy Young Award race. I like that where you're going with this is an argument in favor of uh, starting him opening day, and my brain is so rotted with the arbitration oh, process yeah. and things like How that. How many opening day uh, starts did you make? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it, you might be able to save five grand in arbitration by not giving him the opening day start. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, so barring that, I would say that to endear yourself potentially to a person you may have to go into a negotiation with might be a nice little carrot. Plus, yeah. like again, there's no wrong answer here. It's not like one guy's going to be offended over the other. And, and again, the statistical case between them is so minuscule that it's it's really almost irrelevant in even talking about. But, yeah, I, I, I don't discount that as being a factor. And this is where John Schneider's relationships with guys and feel for the clubhouse comes in from outside this is how i guess it would read manoa cares more about that than anyone else in that rotation and if that's true and if john schneider knows that or has a sense of that then that's your answer right there anyway like before you get into the stat stuff all else being equal the guy who cares the most about that let him have it. Dude, and the last time we saw both guys, I mean, the last time we saw Kevin Gossman, the result of the game was quite bad, but he was pitching pretty well and mm-hmm. not 100%, right? And only pitched longer. Yeah, and only pitched in game two. Might have been the game one starter had he been fully healthy, right? And they, they wanted to give themselves as much time as possible for the, the finger injury. An to extra day to shoot his finger with the glue gun or whatever. Yeah, lasers or whatever he does. Um, last time we saw Alec Manoa, like I said, this was a guy that, man, I... Filled the airwaves, and I'm sure everybody did for the days leading up to his first ever postseason start, saying this guy was built for playoff baseball. And all he did was, yeah, had throw up one of his worst starts of the season, which ultimately wasn't the worst start anyone's ever had. He gave up four earned over five, right? Which is, yeah, it's not great, but this is this guy obviously held himself to such a, a high standard and was so reliable each and every start he made during the regular season. Nice way to maybe erase that memory, clean the slate, is get right back on the horse and be given this vote of confidence by your franchise to to be the opening day starter. And there was a scenario last year where, and it certainly looked like it was headed this way in game two of that series until it all fell apart. Um, Manoa had done a lot last year of picking the rest of the team up rotation, stumbling, guys having to, you know, turn to the bullpen in the third, fourth inning and consecutive starts. Oh, no worries. Uh, Manoa's starting the next day. He'll give you six or seven, even if he doesn't have it. Uh, It would have been really nice for him to have been picked up by the team uh, in the playoffs. So he got another crack at that. Yeah. Knowing what we know about Manoa, I'd imagine that was, that's the type of season end that fuels your off season. It does not, uh, make you shrink from the work and, yeah. and the next opportunity. But yeah, if if you couldn't bounce back and get another opportunity in the playoffs, why not day one completely flush it yeah. with like seven innings, two earned? I don't know. Yeah. It's the Cardinals, so they'll probably have a bunch of singles. <laughs> There's no wrong answers here. I would say that, yeah, if we're just going on feelings, if we're if we're 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 putting the the human component ele- uh, a human element into it, I would say Alec Manoa uh, the argument favors him as well. Uh, before we, we move on from this, unless you got more Blue Jay stuff, I, w- I was thinking about this as well because um, we mentioned Roy Halladay, who is an unquestioned ace, right? This is a Hall of Fame pitcher, and if you are old enough to remember Roy Halladay as a member of the Blue Jays, th- that's that's an ace. And the Blue Jays have had plenty of good players since then. They've had plenty of, of pitchers, you know, have good seasons, 
But Roy Halladay was an ace. And you can get, you know, bogged down in, I guess, terminology and semantics, but there's a feeling you get when your ace toes the slab. What is your definition of an ace, Blake, and are Alec Manoa and Kevin Gossman fitting those definitions at this point in their careers? So big picture, I I think an ace is probably, it's one of those things, the old joke about, pornography where you can't define it but you know it when you see it yeah you do it's like you know it when that guy takes the hill to try to put uh a tidier explanation on it i'd say somewhere in the like top 12 to 15 starters like i don't think every team has an ace every team has a number one starter 100 but not every team has an ace there's not 30 aces no um that would be a weird deck of cards yeah there are (laughs) there are a handful of them oh so there's only four yeah Sure. If we get that narrow, then, uh, yeah, none of these guys are in the conversation. I think Manoa is close. Gosman statistically is close. I I think if you're getting Cy Young awards or Cy Young votes, Mm -hmm. um, then you are in that discussion a little bit. I think Manoa's got the he carries himself that way and you want him to have like, you know, we get into the really intangible stuff, but it's like, okay, the team. But there's so there's so little in this game that is right. intangible that is not unquantifiable. I like having these conversations about such a quantifiable sport. Right. It's and I mentioned that so many times last year, Manoa picked the team up, but it's like, okay, it, let's assume rest and when you last pitched is never a factor. Like we turn fatigue settings off. Mm-hmm. Coming off of a bad game for the team, who do you want on the hill? That's it. That's the ace. And and so where it gets a little tough with Manoa and Gosman is that they're kind of competing against each other. Yeah. And it makes it makes them both feel a little less ace-like that neither of them is the slam dunk obvious choice. But I think Manoa is, you know, in any of those intangible factors. And yeah, he didn't have the one good playoff game that he's ever played. That's a guy I want on the hill in big spots all the time. And maybe he's not a top 10 starter yet, but he's probably in that 12 to 20 range if we went through every single pitcher in baseball and graded them out or projected them out. Um, Third in in American League Cy Young Award voting last year, right? Exactly. And like the the argument some people will give back to you is like, well, the strikeout stuff isn't ace level. So what? Yeah. The, the the performances, the outcomes are yeah. the demeanor is the way he conducts himself, the you know, that ability Roy to Roy Halliday didn't lead the American League in strikeouts every he had some two hundred strikeout seasons, but that's because he, he threw also, like three hundred innings. Yeah, exactly. Okay? <laughs> exactly. And and so I don't know. I think Manoa's pretty close. I think it's a little tough with only, you know, one and three quarters years to really crown someone that just yet. But it didn't take, say, a Corbin Burns that much longer than than that amount of time to be like okay yeah this guy every time out is like and the counter to the way we're framing it from the blue jays perspective is if you're coming into town mm-hmm. is that the guy you're hoping to avoid like if you have a three game set against an opponent who's the guy in that rotation that you're like oh man i hope we don't get that guy yeah and i think last year it was alec manoa by a hair at points it was it was kevin gossman but i will say like the last thing i have on this is that i think it's the reliability factor it's like every fifth day you feel pretty certain that he's going to give you five or six given up one or two at the bare minimum and while you could say that for the most part with kevin gossman there was like that little stumble there where you're like is this guy tipping his pitches what is going on with the the way he's getting some pretty aggressive swings on a splitter that's been so effective the entire season yeah, and that that stuff happens over the course of the year, but you don't want it to happen in the first game mm-hmm. uh, if you can avoid it. Um, 
I, I'm thankful that we're talking about a season where the games are moving more swiftly and guys who do not like I'm, I'm thinking back to the two R.A. Dickey season opener starts and just like I think those were like eight hour games and it's like oh I was I was so excited for baseball dude there was nothing there was no bigger letdown than well really the entire 2013 Blue Jays season uh other than the 11 game winning streak like highlighted by Munanori Kawasaki uh and Chen Ming Wong somehow unsustainable though that uh, 11 game winning streak which Shocker. brought them back to to 500 but opening day start with JP Aaron Sebia making his first start with with R.A. Dickey on the hill and what do you have, three pass balls in that game? So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what you're trying to avoid. You're trying to avoid that. You're trying to avoid what Jose Barrios gave you a season ago, although it ended well. And I think the best shot you have with that is Alec Manoa. I think so. And I, I'm glad we uh, – I wish we disagreed a little bit more on what goes into it. Yeah. But coming to the same conclusion, yeah, I think Manoa gets the ball in the opener. He gets the ball in the home opener. And if all goes well, he gets – the ball in game one of the uh, division series because the wild card is avoided. Yeah. Um, one more on opening day lineups for you, just because I have it in front of me. Do you know who right now has the most consecutive opening day starts for the Toronto Blue Jays? Uh, anywhere in any position? Yeah, but right now, like on, like current. Yeah. Uh, uh, Vlad at first base? Danny Jansen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Four consecutive opening day starts. I wonder if, uh, I mean, Kirk's a little behind anyway, and you could put one of them at DH. Yeah. Uh, it might depend if they're facing a righty or a lefty in oh, the opener, whether Belt gets the DH or, or it's the extra catcher. But can we yeah. see Brandon Belt in one of these spring games? Like, what's going on? I don't know. Are we, maybe we'll get a Mitch White update about him at some point where, hey, he did a little bit of baseball stuff nobody could see, <laughs> and if all goes well, he'll do a little more baseball stuff that nobody can see later. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. All right. Um, before we take the break, Leafs uh, come up with one of their most impressive wins of the season yesterday in New Jersey. Uh, looks like it's going to be a bloodbath, honestly, after 20 minutes of play, after they get outshot 15-5. to five. But Ilya Samsonov, spec-freaking-tacular. Uh, Sam Lafferty, like a huge part of opening mm-hmm. the scoring, streaking down the middle of the ice. And yes, William Nylander, rightly so, gets the headlines on that goal with the incredible backhand pass into the middle of the ice. But yeah, for a, for a team that... Uh, so at the end of a long road trip, still trying to acclimate to some new guys, the second and third centers out of the lineup, that's that's against a, a team that just added maybe the most significant deadline addition in Timo Meyer on the road. That's pretty damn good. It was pretty damn good. It was uh I also I enjoyed getting to pat myself on the shoulder a little bit for the, hey, a guy as fast as Lafferty could really open up what, you know, that transition offense just inside the offensive zone looks like for a guy like Nylander. And uh, that sets up. I thought you made the point before you came on air, too, that it was just an all-around good game where the top players on the team stepped up. Nylander, a big moment. Matthews, a big moment. Marner with an unbelievable shorthanded goal. And even Bunting, who got knocked down the lineup, coming up with a big one. So, um, And then Samsonov, you know, that's... uh, I know that the rest of the game after the first period didn't go quite as... Uh, incredibly well. There, there was that one weak, one-handed goal. Yeah, it was uh, a weird. That was kind of like a weird play. Yeah, yeah. it was an odd one. Um, but overall, the Devils had 15 high danger chances at five on five mm-hmm. in that game. So Samsonov really kept them in there. Uh, the first period was tremendous, and then from there he was just solid all around. Uh, I don't know. That's you, you've got a couple injuries. You're playing a, a tough opponent at the end of a trip. Who do you, back to the ace conversation, right? Who's the guy you feel most comfortable leaning on? Well, the Leafs got that performance from a goalie and all of their top individual forwards stepped up. Dude, it's it's not always, yeah, the the number of saves you make, but the timing of those saves. For a team that was reeling injury-wise and 
you might have expected the start that they had yesterday to come up with that performance in the first period was, was huge. And I'm also of two minds when I look at those natural stat trick uh, stats at the end of the game because Samsonov's been so good stopping the high danger chances. Both five-on-five goals he allowed were at high danger, which is like, yeah, that's kind of like if that is kind of what you want to let in, but not really when you're trying to like be among the best in the National Hockey League and high, da- high danger save percentage. But yeah, he did still stop more uh, more shots than would have been expected of him yesterday at five on five and just the two five on five goals absolutely and i'll still take the guy allowing the high danger scoring chances more than the guy letting in the easy ones because your defense is supposed to limit the high danger chances what we talked about the first two-thirds of this year with the leafs team um that has done a much better job creating a defensive infrastructure that makes it a little easier for guys like Samsonov and Murray to come in and out and have ideally you don't need them to have a game like last night. Um, but you limit those high danger chances. You, you keep teams to the outside and um, you know, getting sticks on shots and things like that. And the job's supposed to get a little easier for the goalie because you don't have a, a for sure. You don't have an ACE mm. uh, or a, a sure thing there just yet um to circle back to where you started this about the weather and the changing of the weather and things like that something that signifies the start of spring for me and i know we're going to talk to adnan after the break and and for him it's almost surely the oscars um this is conference tournament week in college basketball which means we're headed into selection sunday and we're headed into march madness uh little news right as we came on today Uh, syracuse got bounced in the acc tournament yeah saw that jim Beheim, done he retired or was dismissed? Like, you don't dismiss Jim Beheim, do you? It is 47 years into his career. I think this was probably a internally known thing. We don't have all the reporting on it. I thought uh, I saw him say that it's, like, up to up to them. Yeah, uh, Donna DeToto of the, the Post Standard and Syracuse.com had right after the game that Adrian Autry uh, is going to take over uh he was an assistant for the team he'll he'll take over from here but jim Beheim, 47 years yeah at syracuse that's uh and some success uh the 03 season was pretty good yeah he had, a, he, he had a couple um <laughs> he was also a part of one of my favorite basketball games i've ever seen live which was uh in the first round of march madness syracuse the the fab mellow year when he was like a mm. defensive player of the year in the conference but he had to sit out that game because he'd been punished and they very nearly became the first one seed to ever lose mm-hmm. and i was there and the last like three minutes of that game was so fishy from a, an officiating standpoint uh I, you know that i'm not a big ref guy apparently this week i am mm. um that was if i was ever gonna pick a game where I'm not saying from a betting perspective, but a NCAA is like in your ear being like, we can't lose Syracuse in uh, not only a, a marquee team and a one seed that year, but also like in their own backyard. Mm. I believe that one was in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was, that was a fishy one. A lot of uh, people in this line of work devastated. A lot of Syracuse grads that are... Uh, ben Shulman, Dan Shulman. Yeah. Who, uh, uh, David Amber. Some, who's been doing some Jays talk and... Uh, pre and post, and I, I'm sure we'll hear from him again this year. Is did David Amber go to Syracuse? He's I just believe a he did. Fan, huh? No, I think he went to Syracuse. Leo Routens probably oh, in yeah. shambles. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, who who is it? Oh, uh, Raptors nine hundred five assistant coach Demetrius Nichols, who I, okay. I did an event with uh, a couple weeks back and took a shot at. Um, so we were talking. He's a, a nine hundred five coach now, a G League coach, and we were talking about uh, what that transition to the NBA is like for players and what it was like for him. And, and I got the jab in of, yeah, you had to like completely 
unlearn the Syracuse zone defense because no Syracuse player has ever been a good defender in the NBA. No, uh, yeah, it got a chuckle, but yeah, you know, truth hurts a little bit sometimes. All right. Shout out Johnny Flynn. Uh, all right. When we come back, uh, Adnan Verk, uh, the Oscars are on Sunday. We uh, will talk to the uh, host from MLB network, NHL network and the cinephile podcast next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan. The best blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. World Baseball Classic. Uh, on in earnest now. And I got to tell you, it's only a brief moment in time that I've been able to watch pitch clock baseball going back to the old way. It's, it's, it's not good for the soul. It's not, no. it's not right. I Those don't know how we ever did that. Slowing things down and grinding <laughs> it out. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk to Adnan Verk, MLB network, NHL network, and the cinephile podcast, soon to be interviewer of uh, JT rail Muto. Um, <laughs> That, that'll, that'll be exciting, Adnan. Fingers crossed. Best catcher in the game. As usual, we do our thing at 6 o'clock Eastern. We have the show tonight, 7 till 9. MLB tonight. And the producer goes, hey, might get Real Muto around 6. I go, great. I go, oh, of course. I can't bail on Ben and Blake, God forbid. So, uh, TVA, Real Muto, hopefully sometime in the 6 o'clock hour. But always a pleasure to catch up with you guys. Yeah, and, and he's playing for uh, Team USA uh, in the, the same division as, as Canada, who gets uh, their World Baseball Classic underway on Sunday. They're playing the Cubs right now. Adam Lowen. Got lit up a little bit as as Canada um, trying to get into into form before the start of the tournament. Um, yeah, what what are your expectations out of that division? Because Canada's never gotten out of it. Uh, they 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 need to finish top two. They finished with the same number of wins as Mexico and the United States that that one year. I think it was the first year of the the tournament, but didn't get out of it because of run differential and not a lot of household names on this Canadian team. But there's like some some pretty interesting prospects. No, as always, you're reading my brain uh, here, Ben, because I'm looking at the WBC pools. I have to pick which two teams today on the show get a pool D. It's Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Israel, and Nicaragua. So I'm going to go Dominican and Puerto Rico there. Venezuela is the one out. But as for Canada, I'm looking at the pool. I'm like, oh, my God, pool C. So it's USA, of course, going Mexico, Colombia, us, and Great Britain. So we're facing... You know, our, uh, let's say our former owners, but we, we have a great relationship with, with England, of course. So Great Britain will knock them out of the gate. God save the Queen. Still have, uh, have the Queen on our money. So we'll, not, we'll take care of her. And then Mexico and Colombia. I mean, I would have to think, as you're right, as far as the odds makers are concerned, it's USA and Mexico. But for, for us, like, listen, we do have Freddie Freeman. I'm sure John Axford's still going to be in the line. I, I haven't double checked. I'm sure John Axford is still on the roster. Uh, my buddy Ryan Dempster. Uh, we were just talking about the fact, remember USA, they needed a pivotal win, I think it was 2017, against Canada. Yeah. And Dempster still in like 68, and he was, he was out there for us. Eric Gagne closing up shop. So you're right, we still have a couple of names out there. Um, but there always has to be a few surprises. I mean, generally I found this tournament is, there's a couple surprises. I mean, I was looking at the odds, Dominican Republic's favored, then it's USA, then it's Japan. Japan has the easiest path. Like I was looking at their pool, Korea, Australia, China, and Czech Republic. Are you kidding me? Like, that is about as easy a path as you get, then after that single elimination. So, 
Uh, I hope we can get it done. I mean, God, the, the game for all of us to watch in case you're, you're like, well, let me just you know, wake up for the big ones. We got Great Britain Sunday at 3 Eastern, yeah. but the big one is Monday night, 10 o'clock Eastern against USA. I mean, that is our Super Bowl. If we can beat the Americans, oh, my God, it'd be like the War of 1812 all over again. Yeah. Again, they, they've beaten them at this tournament, but didn't get out of the, the group stage when they did. Um, so, so fingers crossed come, come Sunday. Uh, you want to talk about uh, guys getting speared in the nuts? Uh, because you're, wait, wait a second. <laughs> I, I have... Tony D'Angelo. I, yeah. I just got to – I have to jump in here a little bit. The the disrespect to our guy, John Axford, not only is he on the team, and yeah. he was on your network earlier today <laughs> in yeah. a Pup the Band t-shirt. Like, this yeah. guy is, like, the voice of this Canadian team. Uh, so, shout out to John Axford. I just wanted to make sure he gets his due respect here. That's all. I did know he was on because Harold Reynolds and I had a meeting afterwards, and he was laughing, saying, "Dude, Axford's like you." Mm-hmm. I go, "What do you mean? He's Canadian?" He goes, "No, he's a huge movie guy." I go, yes. "No, I did, I did, I read that years ago." He goes, "He said he cried at the end of everything, ever all at once." I said, "Well, it's probably going to win Best Picture. It's a great film." Harold goes, "Haven't seen it, nor had Matt Baskerson." So Axford's emotion clearly fell on deaf ears earlier today on a hot <laughs> stove on the network. But you're right, Axford, like me, big movie guy, and hopefully they'll get it done. Yeah, his his Oscar predictions are uh, kind of legendary. I, we'll get to the Oscars in just a second because this is the last time we'll talk to you before uh sunday's oscars but yeah uh, nuts back to the the nuts thing uh, <laughs> tony d'angelo gets slapped with a two-game suspension for spearing Corey perry in those aforementioned nuts and now for for context andre miller got three games for spitting on drew doughty and everybody was kind of like of the agreement sort of kind of that it was accidental and and anyways that's three games Trying to remove a, a, a man's nuts is two games. Could, does that sound fair to you? It's always hard, honestly. But I see this stuff. Like, I, I saw it, um, and right away I said, he obviously got tossed. Every Lightning player wanted, like, their pint of blood from him. And I said, he's definitely getting suspended. But I never know these things. Like, if you had said to me, 20 games ago, got suspended five games, I'm like, well, as you said, did hit a guy in the family jewels. Got to protect these things. Repeat offender. Right, famously punched his way out the Rangers roster after he got into it with uh, Alexander Georgiev. So it's not like Tony D'Angelo is a Boy Scout, and I know that's always a part of it. Is you know your past history, blah blah blah. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, it was pretty obvious what happened. He got tossed in the game. Like you're not gonna give this guy five game suspension. Like whatever. Like it happened. Like, he didn't kill the guy. So I, I see it. And I go, yeah, I guess two games make sense. Um, but I think ultimately it's something that isn't totally surprising. It is definitely disgusting. As you said, if you're, if you're going to go down, like, wait, you spirit a guy in his groin. I'm like, yeah, like you're, you're purposely trying to impact his ability to have children. I'm like, that's correct. This is 27-year-old Tony D'Angelo. And as far as his rationale, he said he tried to slash my stick out of my hands a second before, and he talks all game. I asked him to fight, but he doesn't want to fight. He'll tell you he's asked me to fight for years. I don't say no. Wasn't trying to give him a shot. Replay probably looks worse. <laughs> but I totally see a toy the angels. He's like, bro, he's a pain in the you-know-what. I want to fight him. Let's fight. You don't want to fight? Fine. Take this then. And I'm like, yeah, I hear you. But you probably just shouldn't have speared him. And, and, and John Turrell was perfect about it when he just said, it was pretty obvious what happened. That's the line you walk. I want to have his personality, have that competitiveness. But I think he may have crossed the line. When your own coach is saying that, and it's John Turrell, that's pretty clear what the answer is. Yeah, it's not ideal. Um, and the Lightning finally get a win. They they snap their their five game losing streak against your your lowly Flyers. Um, but yeah, now that's I I would not advocate for nut spearing. Um, I want to talk a little NFL with you, Adnan, because Lamar Jackson uh, gets tagged with the non exclusive tag by the Ravens. Now apparently the Falcons, Dolphins, Panthers, Commanders, Raiders not interested. This is a guy that won an MVP. He's fourth in overall wins since he entered the league. I mean, it's you don't have to go too far down the line 
to, to start thinking about collusion and, and some teams maybe being in conversation with each other to try and suppress his market. Are you not gobsmacked by the fact that teams aren't lining up to, to go sign Lamar Jackson because he's available? Yeah, I feel like he should be quoting Gladiator. Are you not entertained? Like, I look at what I've done here on the field. The guy's obviously a transcendent player. And it's felt like this was headed in this direction as far as a, an acrimonious divorce. Like, if you, and you follow this story, it's like, wait, this guy's like, literally, I'm with you, a transcendent quarterback. Somebody who can throw the ball 70 yards and he can run it 70 yards. And he's young, he's 26 years old, and, you know, doesn't have an agent, wants to do it himself. Okay, fine. They couldn't get it done. Whispers were he probably could have played in that playoff game or whatever without a deal. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to risk my health. Okay, fine. And now all of a sudden, they're going to franchise him. He might just sit out because he's going to be so mad about getting franchised. This could be it. Like, if you said to me right now, what is a better chance that he signs a long-term deal with the Ravens or plays elsewhere? I'm like, oh, plays elsewhere. Like, he doesn't want to be there. Like, it, and it's clear that they don't want to pay whatever he wants to pay. Like, the, the 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 sum of like thirty two point four million dollars, it's just what it would be this year. But if he doesn't want to play with a long term contract, like that that's his decision. But this is where I'm like, if I'm Lamar, I'm like, I think you need an agent here navigating these waters, particularly to your point, which is that it feels like these teams are purposely saying, well, like let's not take a chance. And I'm like, are you joking? Like, have you seen the state of quarterback in the NFL? Daniel Jones is getting forty million dollars a year. It's insane. Like, I get it, I understand, but I'm like, that that's nuts to me. This guy. Looked like he was never going to validate being such a high draft pick. It's one good season. Let's credit my man Dable, of course, well in Ontario's own. I looked at his numbers yesterday, guys. I'm like, 3,200 yards passing, 15 touchdowns, five picks, I believe seven more touchdowns rushing. But it's not like he's rushing it like my guy Jalen Hurts. So I'm like, all right, Daniel, like Daniel Jones clearly is a, a good quarterback. I don't think he's great, but he doesn't turn the ball over. But in that market, that's worth $40 million a year, $160 million. What the hell? Guaranteed $80 million of that. So I understand Lamar Jackson's frustration. Like, wait a second, that guy's nowhere near me, and you're going to try to pay me, at least for this season, $32 million. No way. I should have lots more options. So I, I'm with you, Ben. I'm gobsmacked. People will not be lining up for Lamar Jackson. And I know what he wants, right? The rumor is he wants Deshaun Watson-type contract. He wants that contract. He wants that kind of guaranteed money. And I say to you right now, if I say, who do you want, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, you might get 10 different answers from 10 different people. But I'll take Lamar Jackson right now because the guy's a stud. It's not even that, he's not even that old. Like He's 26 years old. He's in the prime of his career. He can do it all. So um, I think it's certainly frustrating for the Ravens. This was a great story when he slid to number 32 and became the best quarterback of that draft but now i don't know what the hell's gonna happen no it's a it's a fascinating spot and i hate thinking back on that draft because i'm sitting there so excited in the middle of the first round because oh my goodness he's gonna slip to my jaguars and then uh yeah they had to go with Taven Bryan uh instead and leave lamar jackson there and, and yeah they ended up with trevor lawrence so so all's well that ends well um you mentioned Daniel Jones and what he's getting paid to be the quarterback in that market. There's obviously the Jets questions, um, but I want to pivot on that New York market, Adnan, because another team in that market is like the most fun team in the NBA right now. And we get news blasts around the NBA today like, oh, John Morant's going to miss at least four more games as he's away from the team. Zion Williamson's out at least two more weeks. And then the one team who has been bad news pretty consistently for like two decades is suddenly the most fun team in the league and the team that you know fifth in the east but with the bullet your new york knicks on fire how are you feeling a couple weeks out from the playoffs here well it's unbelievable because you know growing up in canada there was no nba team when i was in high school so naturally i rooted for the knicks because i love spike lee and i love john starks 
Who doesn't love a mouthy shooting guard who would love to get in Jordan's face and talk smack, et cetera? So I always had a soft spot for the Knicks, even with the Raptors' inception. Um, and for years, of course, they've been just horrific. And to think that this team hasn't really had like a modicum of success in literally decades. Like I was, I was talking with some guys from the office, like 25 year old New York Knicks fans. There's no memory they have. Cause they're like, Oh, Spree Bowl. They're like, what? Like, oh, of course you don't remember 98, like, The Knicks went to the finals. Like, no, they, they have none of that. Like to them, it's like if the Knicks could win a round, it's cause for celebration. And all of a sudden I have a parade outside Madison square garden. So I, I've been watching quite a few of the games. Obviously I get MSG, uh, you know, here locally. So, it was been an unbelievable. I tell you what, that Sunday game was unbelievable. Beating the Celtics in double overtime. Because there's games you guys know. You say, listen, no Brunson, no chance. Like, they beat the Celtics earlier in the week. They're not going to beat them in Boston without their point guard. And then they do. Like, quickly almost scored like 40 points. It was incredible. Randall played great. So that, to me, was eye-opening. Of course, then they lay an egg against the Hornets, who are terrible. Like, they're winning the game, and somehow, some way, it's going to be, you know, the Hornets who pull off the victory and end the next nine-game winning streak. But... I tell you what, New York is obviously a great city and a wonderful sports market, and they love their basketball. And, I mean, Knicks fans have been long-suffering. I think if you look at it right now, I think they're the five seed. Like, the first thing was, hey, just get out of the play-in. Okay, mission accomplished. I don't think they're going to fall to number seven seed. Then it's like, okay, you want to avoid six, I think. I don't think you want to place the Sexers at three. Obviously, between the Celtics and the Bucks, watch out. But Cavaliers at four. Now, I think the three of us could agree. Donovan Mitchell might drop 70 points at the court, and that might happen. But I think Knicks-Cavs would be a hell of a series, and the Knicks might be able to be actually to win a series. So it's, uh, it's definitely been fun to see the basketball fans here. The, all of a sudden, the Knicks jerseys coming out, of the, uh, coming out of the woodwork after being eaten by mothballs of decades of irrelevance. It's a good team. They're fun to watch. And, of course, our Canadian, R.J. Barrett, is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Mavs want to redo on the Jalen Brunson situation there. Uh, yeah. No, that was a, a, quite a coup. By your Knicks. All right, mention it. Last time we're going to talk to you before Sunday's Oscars ceremony. Um, I want your best picture winner, um, who you think will win, who you think should win, and then maybe a surprise. Do you have a surprise that, that you expect uh, to take place on Sunday? They nailed the key, Ben. It's not always because the gamblers always want to say, who's going to win? I've got money. I go, no, the more important question is this, who should win? So yeah. I always go through each category, who will win, who should win. So you nailed it. Everything ever all at once is going to win. It is a slam dunk. It has won the PGA, which is the Producers Guild Award. It won the SAG Award for Best Ensemble, the Screen Actors Guild Award. It won the DGA, which is the Director's Guild Award. So there's something to be said for these guilds. And then what happens to the Oscars, because so many of those people are a part of the of a part of the Oscars. So I'll give you an example. Directors Guild, nine out of 71 times. That's it, that the winner of the DGA did not win the Best Director Oscar. So anybody who says maybe Spielberg has a chance, well, maybe, but nine of 71, that's the only times it happens that guy doesn't win, and the winner was Daniel Kwan, Daniel Shiner, the Daniels, of course, for everything, everyone, all at once. So it's going to win Director. It's going to win Best Picture because it won the PGA. Now, I think, for me, my favorite film was The Banshees of Sharon, but I have no issue with everything everywhere all at once winning. It's vibrant. It's different. It's audacious. It's weird. It doesn't always work. It's yeah. a little long, but I, I think it's the kind of risky movie that you appreciate. The three of us know there's so much repetitive movies at the box office, so many sequels, so many MCUs. Everything everywhere all at once is different. If you tried to sell that movie, good luck. That's what an Asian family, and they're you know, in a lot, doing a bunch of laundry. It's tax season. Jimmy Lee Curtis shows up. And all of a sudden, they go into like these different dimensions. And Michelle Yeoh's going to play like 27 different characters. Like, what? That's never going to work. Oh, no, it's going to make $75 million, actually, and then win Best Picture. Like, it really is an incredible story. 
story when you think about what they pulled together. So I think that wins picture. Would love to see Banshees win. Banshees' is best chance at original screenplay, which they're going to go head-to-head with everything everywhere all at once. Now, there's a scenario, fellas. Everything everywhere all at once could win picture, director, which, and, and best supporting actor. I think those three are locked. Ki Hui Kwan, which is a great story. The guy's been acting like 30 years. All of a sudden, now he's back. Now, actress is a toss-up with Blanchett and Yo. Photo finish. I think maybe it's Blanchett because generally the BAFTA winner has an edge over the SAG winner. The BAFTA winner is the British Academy Awards, which Kate Blanchett won for Tar. Yo won the SAG. But there's a scenario. Yo wins. Imagine this. Picture, director, actress, supporting actor, and screenplay all going to one film. That really hasn't happened in recent years with a preferential ballot. Normally it's a lot more balanced as to who wins, but that could happen. Uh, actors are a really good race, too, by the way. Brendan Fraser, I think, should win for, for The Whale. I love that film. I thought he was tremendous. Gentle Giant. But again, photo finish. Butler won the BAFTA. Butler won the Golden Globe. Frazier won the SAG. Frazier won the Critics' Choice. Colin Farrell is still lurking. So I think it's Frazier versus Butler. The actress race I mentioned. And supporting actress might be the wonkiest. Because every year we're supporting actress, you never know. We all remember the year Marissa Tomei won for My Cousin Vinny. And everyone's convinced that Jack Palance read the wrong name. Well, this year, Angela Bassett could make history. First ever actress to win from a Marvel movie. Okay? And she's great. And she's a great actress. I mean, what's love got to do with it? 1993. Amazing. But Jamie Lee Curtis just won the SAG Award. Like Angela Bassett. Longtime actress. Much beloved. Maybe this is her moment. And then there's Carrie Condon for the Banshees of Anna Sharon, who also won the Critics' Choice Award and the BAFTA as well. So, the, the the good news is this. If you like wide-open races, you've actually got three really good acting races up for grabs. If you want a sure bet, well, you're going to get it when it comes to picture and director. It is going to be everything, everywhere, all at once. I, I like the Carrie Condon pick for Best Sporting Actress. I, I don't really have a feel on Best Actor. I still haven't seen After Sun or Living. So, uh, you know, a couple, of the, uh, a couple of the nominees there are out. I'm, I'm curious... As to your take, Adnan, uh, before we let you go here, on Triangle of Sadness in general, I know it doesn't really have much of a chance in any of these categories because it's an ensemble cast. Uh, you don't have any nominees in any of the actor or actress categories. And then it's just it's such a deep and heavy field for director and picture and screenplay. Um, just a bad year for Triangle of Sadness, or did you not love it as, as much as uh, some people did? Yeah, I wasn't all that enamored either, to be honest with you. I, I know the director is pretty interesting, Ruben Ostland. He did um, that previous film, Force Majeure, which people like, which was remade into that film, uh, Downhill, Downfall. wasn't very good. Will Ferrell, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. But I get it. He likes taking shots at the rich social elite. But it's too long, first of all, two and a half hours. By the end, I'm like, oh, my God, finish this <laughs> thing up. And, and, and the, the opening I liked a lot, Blake, like that, it felt very curvy enthusiasm, right? They're arguing over the bill, who's going to pay. Okay, it's kind of funny. And the middle section I enjoyed, on the yacht, my man Woody Harrelson showing up is great. And, of course, if it wins anything, this will definitely be the, the winner of an Oscar, which features the most projectile vomiting ever. <laughs> like, 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 people had warned me, right? Like, hey, there's a lot of scatological humor. There's a big throwing up scene. I go, oh, my. I was not expecting this. Like, I expect that if I'm watching American Pie or like Porky's. I'm not expecting this much vomit in a film nominated for Best Picture. So credit Triangle Sadness for that. And again, I, I got the jokes. I understand what he's going for. To me, it felt a little long, a little bit labored, but credit again to a director who's definitely trying something new. And, and I just love people who try to see all the nominees. Like, I have a friend of mine who's, who's not a huge movie guy, but he said, you know what? I just like to be able to watch the Oscars and say, yeah, I've seen that or I didn't like that. Like, I, I like to kind of do my homework. So I, uh, I appreciate people make the effort this time of year to try to see as many movies as possible. Yeah, I've seen a, a bunch of them not all of them. That's not going to stop me from having definitive takes on, on movies I haven't seen. So that's, that's, that's the way I'm going that's into so Sunday. Funny. That's
That's so funny, Ben, because that's what I did. You know, years ago, I got so angry when Scorsese lost for Gangs of New York. <laughs> yeah. 2002, he lost to Rob Marshall for Chicago. And I was so mad. Eventually, somebody put me in my place and go, well, did you watch Chicago? I go, do you think I'm going to watch like, a two-hour musical <laughs> with Richard Gere? I'm like, of course not. They go, well, how can you say it was a good movie? I go, okay, from now on, I'm watching everything so I can give definitive takes. And no, I still haven't seen Chicago, but yeah. Gangs of New York and Marty were robbed. Yeah, I saw Marcel the Shell with the shoes on uh, over the weekend. That, that's pretty good. That's uh, Listen, uh, I haven't seen Pinocchio, but I'm going to say Marcel the Shell with the shoes on should, should win Best Animated Feature. Uh, that's how I do things. Uh, Adnan, uh, you do things very well, including, I'm sure, uh, an interview with JT Realmuto. Fingers crossed for you that he, he shows up after 6 o'clock. Just got the text, 6.15 Eastern, lock and loaded with the best catcher in the game. All right, enjoy, man. Thanks. Thanks, boys. Take care. Uh, Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile podcast um yeah I, that's how I, I do things like i i think i did a pretty good job the the one that i i should have watched because it's so easily accessible it's on netflix is all quiet on the western front that's that's one of the ones that i haven't seen and i haven't finished elvis because i got through 30 minutes of it and had to turn it off it was so just uh, offensive to me <laughs> from uh um yeah just a uh, look like a music video and I wasn't going to watch it for three hours. I was just, I was like, it was tiring to the senses, honestly. How are you doing for like it, it, watching the Best Picture nominees? Not good? I uh, saw the ones that were interesting to me. I do not need to, I think we had to read All Quiet on the Western Front in high school or something like that. I don't need to watch the movie version. Mm. Uh, or well, you, the, do, you do reverse. It, yeah. Uh, no, thanks. All right. Uh, when we come back, get back into uh, the Blue Jays conversation with Julia Kreutz, uh, MLB.com and Blue Jays Talk on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. As fan drive time continues, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.